Psalm 42. So a few years ago, there was a, there's a band named U2. You've probably heard of the band U2. Their singer, guy named Bono, or if you, if you think the name Bono is too cool, Paul David Hewson. He sat down with Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, if you have a message uh, version of the Bible, Eugene Peterson is the guy that kind of put that together. And so Bono and Eugene Peterson are sitting there and they're having a conversation and, and, it, and the conversation actually turns to Christian music, the concept of Christian music. And this is what Bono said. He said, he criticized it for its lack of honesty. He says, look, when you read the Psalms, the Psalms are brutally honest, both about the explosive joy that the psalmist is feeling and the deep sorrow and confusion that he struggles with. And so Bono just says this question out. He says, why isn't more modern music like that? It's a good question. But I think we could probably broaden that question to really Christian thinking. Why is it that we as Christians, we, we think that there's something spiritual about our joys and our successes, and we feel like we can talk openly about those. But if we start going to the place where we're talking about our, our sorrows, our doubts, or our confusion, we just get uncomfortable with those conversations. As if having sorrows, having doubts, having confusion is somehow less spiritual. I, I would make the argument that what we need is a return, as a people of God, we need a return to the honesty of the Psalms. Where we can talk publicly and openly about our, our victories, where we see the Lord working, but where we can also talk publicly about the fact that we struggle with doubts, we struggle with confusion, we struggle with fear, that we are a people that struggle. My guess is that there are some in this room who are experiencing that season of joy. We've talked about that. You're in the midst of joy. You're in the midst of a place where it seems like the waves of trials have just, for whatever reason, the Lord's mercy stopped pounding over you, right? There is a time of joy and peace. Praise God for that. But honestly, most of us probably don't find ourselves, do we, right there? We probably look at our lives and there's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of griefs. There's a lot of confusion. And if that's where you are this morning, that's actually where the psalmist is in, in chapter 42. And so my prayer for us is, is that as we're wrestling through this 42nd Psalm today, that, that whether you're in a season of joy or in a season of kind of darkness, that God's word will bring you hope this morning. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to read together this 42nd Psalm. We'll pray and then let's dive in and let's see what the psalmist is, is saying to us and what the Lord is saying to us this morning. So let's read together, starting at Psalm 42, verse 1. It's to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. And they write, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, 
And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would now take your word and you would open us up to it. Lord, you, you say your word is like a, a sharp two-edged sword, like a scalpel, that it removes soul and spirit, joint and marrow, that by your word, you do surgery on us. You take out that which is cancerous and you bring health. So Lord, this morning, search us, try us, see if there be any hurtful and harmful way in us and deal with it, we pray. Father, I thank you this morning for, for Casey and for Clemmy Everett. I thank you for baby Amelia. We pray for continued health continued growth, everything that they need for encouragement in their spirit. Lord, do a good work. Lord, we want to thank you for the life of, of Billy Hayes. I thank you that he knew you and now he sees you. That Lord, that his faith has become sight, that he is now with you because he is absent from the body. He's present with you. I pray for Rosemary, for their kids for grandkids, Lord, I pray for your utmost comfort and care that your arms would wrap around them even today and especially today as they lay him to rest. Father, we thank you for this year and your goodness to us, Lord. We, we recognize that we haven't had eyes to see it as we should. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the blessings and the goodness and the kindness and the mercy that you have shown us each and every moment of every day. And that here in this coming year, Lord, we would turn our eyes to you and that at the end of 2024, we would be able to say, we had heard of you by the hearing of our ears, but now our eyes have seen you, that we see you so much clearly and by seeing you rightly, Lord. May 2024 be a year where you deepen our love for you and our love for the things that you love, our love for your church, a love for the lost, a love for our enemies. Lord, if you are love, since God is love, may we be people that love like you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Well... It's a song. It's a song written for the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. And this psalm right here, this song, and that's what psalm means. It means song. That this song right here was written to be given to the choir master so that all of Israel could learn how to sing it, so that this could be words that were flowing out of their mouth. It's a mascal. We don't know exactly what that means. I think it's a bluegrass term. So I'm going with that. 
It's written by the sons of Korah. Let's not skip that too quickly. You remember him? The sons of Korah. Who was this Korah guy? If we were to turn back to number 16, we would see a man named Korah. Korah was a Levite. He was a priest. He saw himself as a holy man, a righteous man, a religious man, that his line, his family had been set apart by God to stand in the holy places and do the holy work of a priest. One day he decides he doesn't like what Moses is doing. He doesn't like how Moses is leading. He doesn't like where they are, so he decides to stand against Moses. Korah comes against Moses. Now, if you remember the Exodus, Moses was the mediator between God and his people, right? That God would speak to Moses, and Moses would speak to the people of Israel on his behalf. And so Korah decides he doesn't need Moses, He doesn't need a mediator. He decides, well, I'm righteous too. I'm holy too. I'm a good person. And so he starts a rebellion right there against Moses. And he gathers around himself 250 of of, of important people, 250 chiefs of Israel. And so they gather him with him in this rebellion. They, they come alongside him. And eventually, all the congregation of Israel, the a million plus people, are standing right there with Korah and these 250 chiefs. Well, what does Moses do at that point? He sees what's happening. And as the mediator between God and his people, God says to him, back away from them. I'm about to destroy them all. And the mediator does what a mediator does. Moses falls down on his face before these enemies and says, God, be merciful to them. Don't destroy them. Don't wipe them out. And so God says, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. Have the congregation of Israel step away from Korah. Step away from his family. Step away from his tent and all his belongings. Have them step away from these 250 chiefs because today I'm gonna show who it is who is my mediator. And so the congregation of Israel steps away, these million people plus, they back away from Korah and right there in front of them all, the ground opens up. It swallows Korah, it swallows his family, it it swallows his stuff, his cattle, his tent, his cars, everything. And then the ground closes back over. You gotta picture at this point that the people see that was the wrong move. But then fire comes down from heaven and consumes the 250 chiefs along with them. They watched it. That's who Korah was. Now let's go back to the psalm. This right here is written by the sons of Korah. Why would you go by that name? Why would you keep that? Why would you say, hey, that's who we're going to be. We're sons of that guy. I think there's only one answer to that. Because these men knew something and believed something that you and I need to know and you and I need to believe they know that their God is a God of redemption. They know that they could be known as the sons of Korah because the most important part of them wasn't where they came from. It wasn't what was in their own past. It wasn't what was in their own line. It's found in who they were and whose they were. 
that these men right here can go by sons of Korah because they are God's sons. They are God's children. Think about that. Many of us, and it happens right here in this room, we get caught up in our own past, in our own line, in our own history, in what we've done, in who we've been, and where we've been. And you need to remember this today. We're gathered here in worship today for one reason, and it's this, because God is a redeemer. Because our God is a redeeming God. He is a God of redemption. And this day, he redeems fully and wholly down to your core anyone who trusts in him. So if you're trusting in him, if you are believing on Christ, if you've turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ as your mediator, as your savior, then your past Your history, who you were, what you've done has been dealt with at the cross. And it isn't spiritual to continue to carry guilt. That's not faith. Faith is believing that Jesus' blood is enough even for that thing that you did, even for that thing that you said, even for the way you treated that person or how you've lived your life. Jesus' blood is enough to cover it because we have a God of redemption. Notice where these psalmists are. They're in pain. There's actually torment. I don't know if you caught it when we were reading it. It feels like it's going back and forth, doesn't it? Like there's some sort of like, like schizo- spiritual schizophrenia or bipolar tendency to this where he goes from really struggling to trusting just back and forth throughout the psalm. If you're at a place, like if you're at a place where you're in pain and sorrow and struggle, I don't know if you've ever done this, where that's where you are, where you're hurting, you're struggling, you're, 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 you're just confused, you're fighting against sin, or you've just kind of given into it because you felt like you could never overcome it. You've gone somewhere and you just cried out to the Lord because it's all you knew to do. You you felt like it was the only thing left. That's what we're listening to in this psalm. That the psalmist right here is, is pouring out his heart to God and it's not censored, it's not suppressed, and it's not pretty, but it's real. It's honest. He's struggling. He's going back and forth between pain and promise, between faltering and between faith. And there's, this, there's, there's something we need to learn from this. We talk about fighting the fight of faith. That's what Paul describes the Christian life as, fighting to believe truth. This right here is the psalmist teaching us how to do it. So it's important. We talk about New Year's resolutions, right? I don't know if you ever do New Year's resolutions. Most of us, if we do, we do them for about three weeks. But this is something here we need to learn to do. And it's not just a resolution that we pick up for three weeks, for a month, while the gyms are full. It's not just something we pick up for the following year or for the the, the next year after that. This is what it looks like, Christian, to fight the fight of faith. So this needs to be a moment by moment, day by day, second by second, way that we live right here. The psalmist is in pain. He's in torment. He's being mocked by his enemies. Listen again to the way he speaks. 
As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You've heard that verse before. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. There's a song about it. You remember the song? And it's this really kind of cutesy song. Like you sing it in children's church, as, as the deer panteth for the water. And it's really pretty. This is not pretty. This is not him in a good mood or in a good place pouring out his soul. This is him crying out to God saying, where are you? Look at me. Are you going to show up? Are you going to help me? You say you're a redeemer. What are you doing? This is the psalmist crying out to God, just saying, please show up. God, where are you? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? It's like the psalmist is saying, it's a good question. Where are you? In verse nine, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? It can often be like that, can it? It can be like that for us where trials come, troubles come, and the very first thing we say out loud is why? Why, God? Why are you letting this happen? Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in mourning? Why have you done this to me? You ever done that? Why? Troubles come, hardships come, and we go to the why God. And why usually turns and spirals down into doubts of who God is. Doubts of whether he's faithful, doubts of whether his word is actually true. And then we kind of find ourselves falling apart and then just wallowing in those doubts and wallowing in those confusions. And we begin to believe the lies that we are telling ourselves. The psalmist is struggling with that right here and he's gonna tell us how to deal with it. He's gonna show us how to fight against those tendencies right there. And that's what I love about this psalm. There was a British pastor in the mid 20th century who did a sermon series. His name was Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you've ever heard of him. And he did a sermon series on Psalm 42 and 43 because if you read them together, it's like part A, part B, that it just flows straight into the 43rd Psalm. He did a sermon series on these two chapters and then it became a book later called Spiritual Depression. That's what he called it. He looked at the psalmist's struggles and he said, this right here is spiritual depression. Listen to what he says about this psalm right here. He writes, I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to ourselves instead of, uh, to listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. Am I trying to just be deliberately paradoxical? He said, far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. He says, have you ever noticed that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself 
instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. Y'all have those? You wake up in the morning and thoughts just suddenly start flowing through you. You have not originated them. They just start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody's talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, just in case you think that's just some sort of like psychological mumbo jumbo, keep listening. Notice what the psalmist does. It's almost like when you read this psalm, you can start feeling his doubts start kicking in and they just start weighing down on him, pushing him down to where he starts questioning God, asking why God. And suddenly he goes from questioning God asking God why to taking those questions and zeroing them in on himself. That he goes from talking to God to talking to himself and the questions go from him to here. Notice what he says. Why God? Why? Why are you letting this happen? Why am I mourning? Why am I in trouble? Why are these things happening? And then suddenly you get this break and he looks at himself and he says, hey, soul, why are you downcast? Why are you in turmoil? Think about that. That if we could get this habit going of when we're in trials and in struggles, if we turn inward and say, look, why am I downcast? Why am I disturbed? I think that would completely change the way we view our trials because it forces us to answer questions. Soul, self, me, why are you downcast? You ever wake up and you're just in a bad mood and you don't know why? I do that. Why? You ever ask yourself, why? Why are you downcast? Well, I'm in a trial, I'm in trouble. I don't want to be in pain. I don't want to be in discomfort. Why? Well, because I don't like it. I don't like being in pain. I don't like being in trouble. Okay, soul, do you believe that God has promised to use these trials in your life to make you more like him? And you may believe that, you may not. You may look at that and say, well, yes, I believe that, but that doesn't matter. I still don't want it. Oh, well, there's your answer right there. Because at some point in this day, you may have woken up with this. You may just have kind of picked it up over, the, over time. You stopped believing that God was good. You stopped believing that God was for you. You stopped believing that even that trial right there was going to make you holy, that he was using it in your life, that he was bringing good out of it. Or you started believing that you'd rather be comfortable than holy. You see how it works? Trials and trouble, even this spiritual depression, should lead us to question ourselves. It should lead us to say, look, am I trusting God? Am I trusting God? Am I trusting that he's good? Am I trusting that, he's lo that he loves me, that he's faithful? Am I living in sin, believing that that will satisfy? Do I have an idol that is destroying my joy? Look, what good would it do if we just kind of came to the end of these questions and just said, look, clearly I'm not trusting God as good. 
Why am I, dis- why, why am I downcast? Why am I disturbed? Well, I'm not trusting that God is good. Notice what the psalmist does. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just come down to the place where he says, okay, this is my diagnosis right here. This is my problem. He doesn't stop at the problem. He goes from the problem to the cure, from the sickness to the medicine. He works his way and he says, soul, why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? Why are you troubled? And then there's a command there. Soul, put your hope in God, for I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Soul, hope in God. I will praise him again. I will see him again. Soul, he's still God. Soul, he's still good. He's still deliverer. He's still redeemer. Do you see the difference our tendency can be to kind of get in the doubts and the confusion and just let, just sit there, just stay there and listen to the lies that we're producing. And the psalmist says, you can't do that. Ask questions. Why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed, soul? What are you not believing? And then don't listen to yourself. Preach to yourself. Remind yourself of truth. Go to God's word and hope in him. Look at verse four. He's discouraged. He says, my tears are my food night and day. God, where are you? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Think about that. He's crying out. He's praying to God. He's pouring out his soul. And then he remembers And he says, I remember how I used to go to worship with the people of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving. Look, what takes him from doubt to shouts of joy, from despair to hope? He remembers. He remembers God. He remembers how he used to gather together with the people of God and worship, hear his word, remember his truth. He specifically mentions the gathering of the people of God for worship as a means of joy and sustenance for his soul. I remember going with the throng to the household of God. I've said it before. You probably get tired of, of hearing it. We're at a place in the, in the church, in the American church, and I think in the, 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 the church in the world, where church attendance, where gathering with God's people is just a thing. And if you talk about the importance of it, people say, he's just a legalist. But notice what the psalmist does. What brought him joy What delivered him out of this doubt and fear was saying, look, I remember how I used to go with the people of God and worship. We've got people that, look, there are people that cannot come to church. I get it. I'm not talking to them. But then there are people who have set the importance of anything else above the gathering of the saints. The psalmist couldn't go to church. He couldn't go to the gathering of the people. Why? I don't know. Maybe they were in war. I don't know what the reason was, but he couldn't go. He says, one day I'm going to be able to go again. But we have people that are choosing to not go 
to not come, to not be gathered with a body, to not be gathered under the word, to not be gathered in worship, and they're wondering why they're so downcast, there's your answer. God has given us the blessing of brothers and sisters to worship with, and it's a dangerous thing to neglect that. That's why he says, do not forsake the gathering of God's people. Don't do it. Because this right here is meant to be a means by which our soul and our joys are bolstered up. He also does this in verse six. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember. God, I'm gonna remember you. What's the cure for a downcast soul, for a discouraged soul? It's remembering God. It's gathering with people who are gonna remind you who God is. So friends, Do you remember him? It's a question we ask regularly because the Bible says it regularly. Do you remember God? Do you set before yourself regularly God's work in your life, God's word for you, God's promises to you? Do you remember? This is how you fight the fight of faith. These sons of Korah knew it. They knew this was how you fight the fight of faith. So they write a song so that we can learn it, so that we can know that this is what life is to look like for us. Think about when we take the Lord's Supper. Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, as often as you do this, do this what? In in remembrance of me. That when we take the bread and we take up the cup, and we're gonna do this way more often in 2024, good news. When you do that, You're remembering that Jesus, the Savior, the mediator came, that he is our great God and Savior, and you're proclaiming by taking it, he's coming again, that we look back and we look forward, that he's our Savior, and we need one of those. You know that? You need a redeemer. So don't make the mistake of Korah as if you don't need a mediator, as if you don't need a savior, a redeemer, as if you're holy enough to go to God on your own. You're not. As if you're not a total disaster of a person. You are. And God in his great love sent someone to save you. We we make the mistake of thinking that, look, if we can just get our lives together, God will accept us. You can't. And you're not supposed to. God sends a mediator, a redeemer, so that you can be made holy. And if we try to go to him apart from that mediator, then it'll be way worse than the earth opening up and swallowing us. Don't do it. Look, if you're here with us today and you've never trusted in Christ, it's great to have you. We are so glad you're here. I hope to get to meet you before you leave. But you need Jesus. You need him. You need that mediator who's gonna go before God on your behalf and save you. And it will not be a pastor. It will not be a priest. There can be no pope that does it. You need Jesus because he's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Trust in him. We're not just remembering his salvation, though. We're remembering his character. How many of you guys, do lunchboxes still exist, young folks? Yes, thank you for answering. It's good they listen. At least for that question, right? Because I'm a kid of the 80s. So I had lunchboxes, A-Team, He-Man. I don't think you can make He-Man today. We're just so confused. <laughs> I'm glad y'all got that. That could have just... 
So you'd take your lunchbox or your thermos and they always smelled like bologna, whether you ate it or not. It was horrible. But then you'd open up your lunchbox at lunch. Your friends would open up their lunch. Did y'all do this? Especially when you had carrots and apples, you'd be like, what you got? Snack packs, right? Chocolate-covered raisins, whatever. And then the bartering would stop, start happening. The trades, did y'all trade? I don't want this today, I'll take that. Trade you tomorrow, I owe you my whatever. But here's what you know to be true. You always knew how badly somebody wanted something by what they were willing to give you for it. I really want that chocolate pudding. I'll give you my carrots for it. You don't want this chocolate pudding. I'll give you my dessert, my sister, my car, whatever. (laughs) You knew how much they wanted something based on what they were willing to give for it. Downcast soul, what was God willing to give for you? Why do you doubt he wants you? Why do you doubt he loves you? Why do you doubt that he will be good to you today? He who did not spare his own son, will he not with him freely give us all things that are good for us? Remember, remember, don't forget Whatever trials you're in, whatever troubles you find yourself facing, take your doubts, take your despairs, take your fears and shine the light of truth into them. Speak, preach to yourself God's truth. Don't forget, remember, and hope in God.